Part One, Chapter Three of If All These Young Men by Romer Wilson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Part One, Berkshire, Chapter Three: The Photograph. The young man had not been asleep for more than twenty minutes before the sound of his door knocker falling on the knob broke into the room and disperse those airy beings which steal quietly about the defenceless sleeper at noonday and tease him into faint fantastical dreams it fell again and mr hunt awoke started up to his feet and cried damnation heavy with unfinished sleep and still half dreaming he stretched his arms above his head yawned again as his arms fell to his sides and repeated oh god damnation his breakfast still lay upon the table because he was without a servant and had not the energy to clear it away himself and as he looked at it he made a motion with one hand as if to push it out of sight then irritated because it did not vanish away like magic went to the door to let the stranger in he pulled back the catch and opened the door a little way at first because he feared unconsciously as he had always feared in childhood that a tiger death or nothing might be upon the mat there stood his friend josephine whom in a moment of happiness last week he had invited to lunch hello josephine he said and opened the door wider with a jerk as if in the act there was something to be shy about i expect i have come too soon she answered smiling at his wild and creased appearance but i got sick of sitting with my feet on my own mantelpiece come along then he said in a loud voice for he was very shy and sit with your feet on mine directly she got inside the door she took her feathered hat off like a cavalier and exclaimed eh i am glad it is a holiday can i comb my hair yes go into the bedroom won't you he murmured and opened the door for her into a small and ascetic bedroom that was as clean and tidy as the sitting-room possibly there were days upon which it was not dusted for he had no one to do his domestic work for him and possibly from time to time the bed remained unmade from the moment when he dragged himself out of it in the morning until the moment when he rolled himself upon it again at night but to-day everything was tidy there was not much furniture in the room and no pictures but on the top of the chest of drawers stood the photograph of a young woman of twenty-nine years of age and over the mantelpiece hung another photograph of her at the age of twenty-one josephine noticed these photographs and thought how much more charming everett sharp looked in these surroundings than in any other and while sebastian was holding a black comb up against the light she said silently to this creature who was so lively in the photograph with her steady gaze and half smile that it was possible to converse with her you are a queer creature everett sharp i can hear you saying the most incredible things to him and when he asked you to marry him answering no sebastian i simply couldn't you are quite right my dear replied the photograph i am too incurably virgin can you use this comb said mr hunt shattering the delusion as he handed her the black comb which was none too clean then he left the room in order to shuffle the breakfast pots away into the kitchen and to heat up the lunch josephine could not find a looking-glass in the bedroom so she went into the bathroom where the glass that sebastian hunt used for shaving stood upon the top of the window-sash about a foot above the level of her eyes and being of the nature that makes free with what it finds to hand she took the glass down and returned with it into the bedroom where she combed herself at its diminutive surface as well as she was able the glass was so close to her face that she could see the grain of her skin and each one of her eyelashes 
she had fine eyebrows and eyelashes but her complexion was not good she made a grimace not unlike the grimaces men make when they feel their newly shaven chins and put the glass down upon the chest of drawers and although she was quite ready hesitated to go into the sitting-room because she was a little timid of sebastian after their last meeting which had been a merry one she went over to the window and looked out over the waste which she thought a pleasant spot associated as it was with sebastian to whom it formed a background she noticed the gay pattern of the bedroom wallpaper in the ruined house and thought how pretty wallpapers covered with pink roses were but immediately the war rose from the ground and overwhelmed her it was a few minutes before she regained the power to move only action can keep her alive under its domination at last she went into the sitting-room where mr hunt was setting the table and feeling that it was necessary to begin a remark said stiffly can i help no thank you he answered with an effort that cost him physical pain and disappeared into the kitchen josephine sat down on the bright blue sofa and stared without much attention at the caricature of a well-known cambridge philosopher next to this drawing was a small water-colour of a toadstool which was both charming and finished and upon the other side of a brass carriage clock hung a photograph of a classic greek dish upon which were two figures dancing round an almond tree she got up to look at the dish and to note as she had often done before the beauty of the technique of the drawing upon it and having satisfied herself that ancient greece was what she thought it she returned to the sofa time passed very slowly she stared at the prints on the walls of ladies in six or ten kimonos with musical instruments in their hands and then her glance fell on a plate of apples she wished that a law which sprang from the very root of social life did not exist and that she could eat one presently sebastian came in with a jug of water and a plate of bread and she forced herself to exclaim the war and thus gave him to understand how it possessed her yes he answered and the word escaped from his deepest feelings just as hers had done he vanished into the kitchen and again she was left to examine the room in order to pass the time the objects in her own house had seemed illusions but those here had a significance augmented ten times above their usual significance and she saw their details as if she had the clear sight of fever she looked at everything in the room and although she only examined what was there for anybody to see she came to new conclusions about mr hunt one of which was that he was extremely receptive of affection when he felt sure of the person who offered it after a little while she got up and finding a book of japanese prints upon the bureau sat down on the floor behind the couch because there sebastian could not see her if he came into the room she began to look through it but in a few minutes sebastian ceased clattering about with the pots and said draw up josephine she got up and putting the book down open on the back of the sofa remarked i like that book there are some decent prints in it i don't like one peony in a bowl and all that yes they are not bad prints he said as he drew a chair out from the table for her to sit in what is a yoshivara woman she asked as she sat down one worse than a geisha he replied and the conversation thus coming to an end they began their meal they ate in silence for a little while and then sebastian said with an effort i cannot offer you anything to drink i tried to get something yesterday but found it impossible i don't drink when i am happy it is a waste of happiness or port josephine laughed oh of happiness yes i agree with you but i cannot drink when i am alone i can only drink in good company 
to this delicate compliment she replied then i am sorry you have no port but i don't think i could oblige you by getting drunk to-day for extraordinary as it may seem i am happy sebastian drew in his breath in a chuckle full of metallic vibrations and said quickly i believe i am too and they immediately became constrained with shyness in order to relieve the tension he cut some bread in very thick slices and in the cheerful tone he used when he was shy cried have some bread thank you i will she answered as if the matter were of great weight then silence entered the room and their minds which they had wound tightly up for the purpose of uttering a few words in conversation spun round like the wheels of a clock when the mainspring snaps and they felt a little more at ease they gave up any attempt at talking and josephine on her part indulged in a series of those light and kindly feelings which made her friendship with sebastian pleasant but which she feared to communicate to him because though not amorous they were a little sentimental on the other hand she felt that she knew him so well that it was ridiculous not to talk naturally with him and this combination of restraint and frankness and the fact that she imagined she was a complete stranger to him made her awkward and shy in his company mr hunt knew her better than she supposed though only a little better but sociability with human beings was difficult to him and on this occasion his ordinary embarrassment was complicated by feelings as sentimental as those she felt for him though he was tender toward josephine he did not wish to fall in love with her or to entangle himself in a new devotion that like his former devotions would end nowhere nevertheless the flickering of the new flame was pleasant and though he reassured himself that he was bound for life to everett sharp he began to suggest to himself that having waited upon her without any hope of marriage for seven years his obligations had lapsed through length of time and that when it came to a matter of pursuing the essential happiness he might consider himself free yet he loved everett with such sincere devotion and admired her with such sincere admiration that it seemed impossible for him to do anything contrary to her wishes as he mused about her he felt himself inclined to resent her domination over him but was only a little resentful because he had no real desire to assert himself at last they finished lunch and josephine said i will help you to clear sebastian answered neither yes nor no so they walked in and out of the kitchen carrying a glass and a plate or two every time because they were too idle to look for the tray when this was finished they returned to the sitting-room and stood for a minute doing nothing until mr hunt offered josephine a cigarette and suggested that she should sit upon the sofa before the fire at the same time he drew it up in such a way that in order to get any warmth himself he had to sit on it beside her which he did after an obvious delay that caused her to smile to herself but she had not the courage to say come out of the cold sebastian and sit on the couch no sooner had he sat down beside her than he found it necessary to get up and fetch the apples upon which her mind was set then he threw himself upon the sofa again and pushing the plate toward her said have an apple they were beautiful apples and josephine was glad to see how careful he had been to get her the best because it showed that he felt both politely and kindly towards her she said i do like apples i did not get you russets i remembered last time you were here you said you did not consider them apples she was delighted to think he had remembered what she had said a week ago and feeling warm towards him smiled and cried nay you are right apples are apples and russets are sweet wood he cried out spontaneously nay 
and slapped his hand on the sofa as he laughed as if to say i love her when she says nay like that they were getting on a little better together but allowed too long to intervene between this and the next subject of conversation so that the spark of geniality flickered out mr hunt lit his pipe with a twisted piece of paper and then sat back on the sofa and stared into the fire his mind began to hurry along as if he were travelling at a great rate through time and josephine had the same painful and unpleasant sensation of swift progression she took up the book of japanese prints again in the hope that she might draw him to look at it with her yet she was too cowardly to invite him to do so but by making remarks about the pictures she managed to stop him staring into the fire although he wanted to look at the prints with her he did not frankly approach her and turn the pages but first came nearer than was necessary then held off and then came near again in this manner they succeeded in seeing most of the pictures simultaneously when the book came to an end and they were thrown again upon their own resources it occurred to josephine to ask sebastian how he was going to pass his holiday i am going down to east newton he answered i am going down to weir to the sharps yes to boxwell house they both thought but neither of them dared say we shall probably meet at the sharps i cannot go until to-morrow said josephine i have to stay at the office until to-morrow afternoon i am going this evening as sebastian said the words this evening she thought to-night in the country the stars will be bright and the silence soft and complete the beauty of the dark yew-hedged garden at boxwell house came back to her with the orchard of white plum-blossom beyond silent and shadowy under the moon and beyond the orchard low hills and woods still and hushed in the silvery moonshine not a sound disturbed the night except from time to time the noise of a passing ammunition train in the valley down by the thames oh cried josephine i shall not be down there until to-morrow how i do hate london more and more the town is perfectly horrible there is not much to say for london said sebastian i shall be away in the country for a week what a lucky creature you are josephine continued how damnable work is i am sick to the soul of work i wish the war were over and then i should be free but it is no use while there is still a war i am sick to the heart of london i want to go away and live by myself in some remote cottage i do not think i should be able to tolerate living with anybody for more than a fortnight said sebastian feeling at last at ease i agree with you she replied i could not live with anybody but susan sharp and even then sometimes i wish to kill everybody in the world where is susan susan went down to boxwell house on wednesday and is in the family circle and their endless conversations into which i shall be thrown to-morrow yes they do talk i have to go away from them sometimes it becomes so intolerable sebastian relit his pipe making a flame flare up that seemed as if it would scorch his face and muttered between his puffs at the pipe yes i feel as if i want to run away i have to go a long walk sometimes when i cannot stand it any longer and everett is the worst no said josephine i don't agree with you chloe is the worst of the whole family they are so united that whatever one tells chloe is thoroughly discussed with charlotte and what charlotte knows she tells horatia when they have gone to bed at night and what they do not actually relate concerning all the minute circumstances of some gossip which they call an interesting personal relationship the others can gather by the family business of knowing what is left unsaid i admire them they are so united it amounts to genius and i dare say is delightful if but oh lord 
not if you are an in-law and not perennially sebastian seemed to enjoy this outburst against the great sharp family of whom josephine and himself were brother-in-law and sister-in-law after a fashion since they both had one great friend in the family and josephine thought how he admires vitality i believe it is the quality he admires more than anything else they were now able to sit in silence without feeling it oppressive and having got thus far along the path of amiability josephine discovered that it was nearly half-past three and time for her to go don't go yet said sebastian won't you miss your train no i shall get my train all right she knew however that this was a lie and was delighted because he seemed to want to miss his train rather than let her go i will go she said rising because i could not bear you to miss your train so i will go think it would be late before you got away it would only be eight he answered sentimentally but added in order to correct any sentimental impression he might have created i think the train is seven forty well i must go to my lonely house and pass the night with swinburne's ghost she said smiling has swinburne a ghost no she replied as she went into the bedroom to put on her hat while he followed her closely only if you live in the house of a dead poet you like to imagine he is about the place and then added altering her voice to one of conscious affectation just a misty flicker of red hair in the twilight and the bat-like flitting of his little white hands up the stairs that's it End of chapter 3 Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine